Uh, good evening. All right, we are finishing up our 2012 Sunday evening series tonight, and we'll do a New Year kind of thing next week since it's the will be the almost the end of the year. Uh, our tack, what we tackled this year was understanding the times, and we have picked a number of different topics of things that we don't understand, perhaps uh, moral things. Uh, societal problems, things that have changed uh, that we as Christians might not understand how we got here. Uh, so that we've talked about, this is our 14th one that we started last week, and the one we are finishing with uh, is gender roles in the church. And what we looked at last week in real brief summary was an amazing change in the religious world, for one thing, uh, but even into the churches of Christ now, uh, an amazing, fairly quick change from a understanding of the Bible that had survived and been universally accepted for 2,000 years. Uh, and all of a sudden, everybody got a new understanding. Uh, and that was one thing we read in the, the website quotations last week, the signs of the times, is many churches have uh, said that, well, we studied the Bible and we've decided that what we understood was wrong and now God's leading us somewhere else. Uh, we have a new understanding. We have re-understood what we always thought the Bible meant. And that's an amazing thing to, to happen that quickly as it has uh, and so widespread. And so... Some folks don't understand that. I don't understand that for sure, but uh, that's what we're trying to do is understand how that happened. And so we started, just to get started at the bottom of page one last week, and the first thing that caused all this was that society changed. And we went through a lot of that, how society has changed, and from when I was a young person and started out in the business world, completely different than it is now. Society has a whole different outlook on the role of women in all places, and so society changed. And secondly, that put pressure on the church. If society is vastly different from what uh, Christians do in church, uh, we tend to adapt. Doesn't mean we ought to, I'm just saying that's the way it works. Uh, things have changed in lots of ways, and this is one. Uh, the difference is a church changing and society changing. A church has the, the same societal kind of problems and things we talked about, but the church also has scripture. And so there are some things that the church shouldn't change on, perhaps, not perhaps, definitely. Uh, the church shouldn't change on, even though society does change. Uh, and we've talked about a few of those this year. There have been a number of our topics have been things that are very difficult for the church because society has changed so greatly. Uh, so the church has been under pressure to change, but how do you deal with the Scripture? Well, for some denominations, there's not much of a problem. The more liberal denominations uh, don't worry a whole lot about this. I mean, they say they do, but... They adapt pretty quickly and say, well, we think it means something else now, or let's just ignore that. Uh, but when you get in a very Bible-based, 
scripturally oriented uh, group like the Churches of Christ, that's more of a problem to get around scripture or to re-understand it, as I said. Now, we've got the pressures, and we will have the pressures more. Yeah, I talked about my, me growing up and being in business and all of that. Uh, that's what I was used to. Young people today have seen nothing but uh, gender equality, minority equality, diversity, and all of it forced. If you, if you violate it in any way, the hammer falls. Okay? Uh, well, that's what they've grown up seeing. And they come to the church and say, hold it, this doesn't make sense, perhaps. Uh, and if we don't understand why we believe what we believe or what the Bible teaches, then change comes pretty easily, perhaps. All right, so we're going to go to page two now, and this is more of an exercise in thinking than it is anything, uh, and that kind of takes us back to where we started this year, by the way. Uh, that's where we started this year, was the problem with a lot of these problems is we don't know how to think. Uh, and that's how society got in the shape they've gotten into on a lot of things, and nobody can think anymore very well. Uh, so let's work through this process that I've put on here of reasoning together is what I called it, and see if it makes any sense to you. Hopefully it'll make a little bit. Okay, so in this problem of change or not to change, step one, I think, is instead of just jumping on a verse or two, I think we need to see the big picture. I think we need to think through what has God always done and how has he done it. And so step one, see the big picture. The big picture is that God, for some reason, and I'm not saying I know why he did it. I'm just saying for some reason he has always prescribed male leadership. That's from the start. Uh, in the garden, Genesis 1-2, woman came from man. He made man first. Eve sinned first, according to the account, but Adam was held accountable. Adam was there. He watched. He, he let her take spiritual leadership of the family, and he was blamed for that. God held him accountable. In Romans 5-12, it says it's Adam's problem. Well, Eve was the one that sinned, but Adam wasn't exercising his male spiritual leadership. And you say, well, that's Old Testament, that's a long time. Well, Paul, when he's discussing this problem that we're talking about in 1 Timothy, he goes back there. He says, this is why I'm telling you these things. And we'll see that in a minute in 1 Timothy 2. Okay? All through history, uh, God set up the principle of the firstborn son. All inheritance went through uh, the male in the family. Headship responsibility was with the male. The patriarchs, the circumcision was for the males. That was the sign of the covenant. Uh, females got the same blessings, uh, but they didn't go through that ceremony. They had the same obligation under the covenant, but the identity of the covenant came through the male. Of the law of Moses, under it, all public worship, all the sacrifices, all of that was done by males. That's the way God set it up. Uh, now, 
Some of you are saying, okay, well, that's Old Testament. That's got nothing to do with what we do today. Okay, it did change. God changed things. And I think this is the most important point. God changed things. He changed from animal sacrifices to Christ's sacrifice. He changed from Jews only being his chosen people to Gentiles included and open to the gospel. He changed the diet. He changed what they ate. He changed all kinds of things. But one thing he didn't change was male spiritual leadership. He could have. In fact, that was the time to do it, is when he was changing covenants. If he really wanted to change it, that's when he would have done it. Now, go back to last week. Remember, I've lived through this change in society where males were expected to lead and manage and do all that, and women weren't permitted to, to where women were encouraged to and now basically have equality. Okay, To do that, it took affirmative action. I told you, when we understood that, yes, we had to make opportunities for women, that's the way it was going to be and all that, whenever we picked a team, whenever we picked a committee, we said, we got to put a woman or two on this. Okay? Now it happens more naturally. It's not because we're forced to. It's not because we're thinking we've got to do this from affirmative action. We pick the best and put them on the team. Okay? The point I'm making is, if you want to make that kind of change... You take steps to do it. So if Jesus really wanted total equality in the church and he had to pick 12 people, who would he have picked? He picked 12 men. He obviously didn't want to change the picture much. He picked 12 men as his apostles. If... Paul would have wanted to make a change, and God told him we're we're making a change here. Paul wouldn't have specified elders have to be males. He wouldn't have said that. Paul certainly wouldn't have said, I don't want women to participate in public worship. Those are verses we'll look at in a moment. Do you understand when the covenant changed... If what people are now re-understanding was actually true, that's when it would have happened. But it didn't. Things went right on. God continued with male spiritual leadership, reinforcing it, both in leadership positions and public roles. And all that he carried right on. That's the big picture. Now, I already said, I don't know why. I mean, I've got some theories about why God did it that way. And I think it's best if God did it. I don't think it's best. I know it's best, even if I don't understand why it's best. It's the way God did it. The big picture. Okay. Now, once we've reasoned through that and see the big picture, but we're still getting this external force or maybe internal force that says, no, we got to change. We got to let women participate in public roles. We got to give them leadership positions in the church, et cetera, et cetera. If we get to that point, we still got to deal with the two main verses that are a problem. First one that's a problem is second or First Timothy, chapter two. 
Paul's writing to a young preacher, Timothy, who is starting churches and traveling around and pointing elders and doing all that. And Paul gives him a lot of rules, uh, guidelines for worship and practice and uh, how to teach different people and how to appoint elders and deacons, and all kinds of instructions in First and Second Timothy. And one thing he says is, in verse, uh, chapter 2, First Timothy, uh, verse 9, he says, here's how I want women to dress. Women need to dress modestly with decency. Uh, their good deeds should be what people notice about them. Uh, they should be appropriate for women who profess to worship God, etc. Then he points out in 11, he says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first. And there he goes back to the creation and talks about the order of things in the beginning. Okay. Now, let's not try to answer that yet. Let's just say Paul said that. And if we're going to change male spiritual leadership and male participation, we've got to deal with that verse. The other one we got to deal with is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, I understand, I've probably read 1 Corinthians 13, 14, 15, more than any three chapters in the Bible, and I understand it's about charismatic gifts. I understand it's about gifts of speaking in tongues and all of that, and they had a mess in Corinth. I understand that they had turned the assembly into a party. And those that could speak in tongues were just having a heyday. And Paul sets rules out for that and tells them that women shouldn't do that and explains how many can do that. He gives them all sorts of rules about the gifts. But what he, when he gets to uh, verse 34, yeah, 33 actually, uh, he says, as in all the congregations of the saints... So yeah, Corinth was a mess. They had a specific problem that Paul was dealing with. But he says, as in all the congregations of the saints, as in all the churches, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Okay? So there's the same thing basically that Paul told Timothy. He sets it out as the rule for all the churches. All right, we've got to deal with those. If we want to change anything. What I put on your handout is, there are more I'm sure, but these are the four main ways I've seen that people get around those or deal with those verses. Uh, number one, a lot of people just blame it on a cultural thing. And say, well, yeah, that's okay for first century. But Paul, you know, he was, he was an old bachelor anyway. He was a male chauvinist. And... You know, you can't pay much attention to him now. It's okay for then, but man, that's way out of track now. Times are different. That, that doesn't apply to us. That was a cultural thing uh, that was applicable then, but certainly not today. Now, you may think, well, how do you just write those off as a cultural thing and ignore them? Well, you just do. And part of the problem, part of the problem is not thinking, is when you start with the answer you want, 
and then study Scripture, it's real easy. Okay? Uh, I've got some tapes one time a few years ago from a, a conference that was basically about women's role in the church and all that, and I listened to it and had some famous speakers uh, that I think are great gospel preachers, etc. But I listened to the, the whole thing, and 90% of it was uh, secular stories. 90% of it was stories about how my sister feels like she ought to be able to do more things in the church. Or I've got a niece who feels bad because she doesn't get to use her gifts in the church. And this is how it is out in the world. Story after story after story. And then every speaker would tell those, many of them were tear-jerking stories. They would tell those stories, and then they'd say, well, and some people say that First Timothy 2 says this. Well, we know it can't mean that. And right back to secular stories. That's how they dealt with it. None of them, no speaker, ever sat down and reasoned through what do First Timothy 2 mean or First Corinthians 14. They just said, well, they can't mean that. They can't mean women can't participate in church. Because we've already made up our mind <laughs> that they should be able to. Society has affected us. So that's one way is just blame it and kind of ignore it. Secondly, claim that the verses were necessary because of certain problems. There was a chaotic situation in Corinth, and wherever Timothy was, there were some women that were... Uh, Miss, uh, they were, were abusing their role and trying to take over things. And so that's why Paul said to stop that. But as long as things are decently and, and orderly done, then everybody can participate. Okay, that's an argument. Okay. Uh, doesn't work if you read the scriptures. Because remember what Paul said there in Corinth? As in all of the congregations. Well, this is the way it is in church. Okay. Number three, a way to deal with it, and this is probably one of the most popular ones, is to emphasize some verses, even misconstrue them a little bit, and ignore the two key ones. Uh, Galatians 3.28 does say there's no distinction between male and female in Christ. We're all one in Christ. No Jew, no Gentile, no male, no, no slave, no free, no male, no female. It says that. So when somebody says, well, what about 1 Timothy 2, those that want things to change say, well, Galatians 3.28 says there's no difference between male and female. So that can't mean what it says. Well, when I say misconstrue, if, 1 Corinthians, if, 1, if Galatians 3.28 really meant there are no differences, now it means we're equally saved. It means there's no difference that way. There's still physical differences. There's still spiritual differences. There's still uh, leadership differences. There's still all of that. But spiritually, we're equally saved. The problem is, if it really means no distinctions, then you can't draw the line anywhere. Remember when we were reading the websites last week? Everybody drew the line in a different place. Everybody said, well, women can do this, but they can't do this. Women can't, can do this, but they can't be elders. Women can do this, but they can't be deacons. They all draw the line a different place. 
if Galatians 3.28 really means no distinctions, then you don't have any lines. You can't. Okay? So they, they conflict with themselves when they argue this way and just throw Galatians 3.28 out there and say ignore the others. Okay? Fourth one is to read these two verses or these two passages and say what they're really about is spiritual authority over man. I see right now I put scriptural authority. I should have put spiritual authority. Uh, don't usurp authority from a man. Take it that way. That, that means a woman can't have spiritual authority over a man in any way. And that's all it means. So if that's true, then if it isn't teaching, if it isn't uh, any kind of spiritual authority, if it's just reading a scripture, there's no authority in that. you just reading, I mean, you could play a recording of somebody reading a scripture. There's no authority over anybody. Or leading singing, there's no spiritual authority there, perhaps, you could argue. Or passing communion. I mean, that's where most of them start, is we're going to let women pass the communion plates. And there's no spiritual authority there. Okay. If you take it as no spiritual authority taken over man, you can go that direction. Or B, you can say, all right, as long as the male leadership says a woman can do this, she's not taking spiritual authority over a man. As long as the leaders who are male say a woman can do this, she hasn't usurped anything. Now, those are the four main ways I've seen people deal with these scriptures to effect change in women's role in the church. Now, the first three I discount out of hand. I don't think they're good reasoning. I don't think they are uh, even honest reasoning. The fourth one, it's the only one I can see that might have some validity. Now, I don't hold to this. I don't think the fourth one is the right answer, but I can see how somebody could get there. I think they've got to kind of want to get there, but I can see where somebody could get there. Say, okay, this is really talking about spiritual authority and all that, so I think we can do things a little bit differently. Okay, Now, here's where the thinking has to come in and start. Uh, if you get with these to these scriptures... If you talk yourself into answer number four and say, all right, we're not really talking about leadership. We're talking about authority part of it. So as long as we give a woman authority to do something, she can do anything we say she can do, et cetera. Or she can pass communion or read scripture, lead songs. Um, they're just neutral acts. Uh, they aren't teaching or exercising any kind of authority. Okay. Even if you get that far, and I realize this is exercising our brains a little bit, but even if we get this far, somebody that wants to change and have convinced ourselves that, okay, I've decided it's scriptural under this reasoning of number four there, to give women public roles in worship, there's still another question. The other question is, even if we convince ourselves it's scriptural, it's legal, the question still is, is it prudent? 
Is it wise? Is it the best thing to do? Because there's a whole bunch of verses, and we just went over them and over them and over them in our unity series, about there, there are a lot of things that are permissible, but they're not beneficial. They're permissible, but they're not constructive. If they don't build the body up, if they don't promote unity, if they don't do all those things, then they're not wise. Remember Romans 14 and First oh, Corinthians 10 and all those places where it said, uh, even if this is all right to do, if it promotes disunity, if it causes division, I'm not going to do it. Make somebody stumble, I'll never do it, Paul said. Okay? So hypothetically, even if we get ourselves reasoned into thinking, well, this might be all right to try this, we've got to ask ourselves, is it prudent or wise? And that's step three. Decide if changing makes sense. Okay? And this is the step that a whole lot of people haven't taken, and I think they're going to pay the price. When you sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind, I think they're going to find out that once you start down this road, that I don't think scriptural, but even if it was, I don't think it's wise or prudent, you're going to pay the price because you're violating God's big plan. Okay, so let's think through this prudent or wise thing. Here's some questions we might ask. Number one, why are we doing this? What statement are we trying to make? Society's put pressure on us. Society, maybe from internal even. We've got women and young ladies and saying, well, why can't I do this? So we're getting that kind of pressure. So we say, well, we've understood it this way for 2,000 years, but let's study and re-understand it. Okay, so we talk ourselves into re-understanding it. So we've decided, okay, it's scriptural to change. Now, the, the question then is, why are we going to do it? Well, what statement are we trying to make? Are we saying that there aren't any role restrictions? Are we saying we don't believe God's got this big picture plan that we talked about? When the Bible's so clear on a whole lot of things, what statement do we want to make? You know, if we're going to draw the line any place, What are we trying to say? Let's say we just take the easy one. We're going to let women serve communion. We're not going to let them talk or anything. We're going to let them serve communion. What statement does that make? Why are we doing that? And if you can't answer that with a good answer, then maybe it's not prudent or wise. You know? Second, what example, if we do that... What example are we setting for our young people? If there is a male spiritual leadership distinction in the church, if we believe the big picture, then what are we teaching young people by starting down the road of changing things? The world is pushing hard enough already to say, no, you, you can't do it the way God lined things out. So what are we telling them? Well, we're going to change this little thing, and that'll have to do. We're never going to compete with the world if we believe there's a male spiritual leadership thing. Okay? And 
to me, I realize it may be hard for me to make this judgment since I'm not female, but to do something like say, okay, you can pass communion plates, you can be a token in that way, I, I think that's worse than doing nothing. If you truly believe in male spiritual leadership, which I do, what message are you sending? A few years ago when my granddaughter went to children's training hour for the first time and found out that girls couldn't lead songs, she was incensed. Okay? She was hot. Why can't I lead a song? Well, there's... I'll be honest, most of the kids around here, I'll be, there's no reason that a five-year-old girl can't lead a song in a little class, is there? So why did we bother to tell her no? Because we believe there's a principle of male spiritual leadership. And we're starting to train her that way so that she understands it. I realize that the feminists would have a freeding frenzy if they heard me talking like this. But we believe the Scripture means something. We believe God set up a plan for some reason that works best. So why do we let little boys pick up visitors' cards on Sunday morning instead of little girls? Could a girl do that without hurting anything? Yeah. But it's the message, it's the principle, it's the training, it's thinking. There is male spiritual leadership. And men do things in worship. And you learn that as you grow up. If you don't want them to learn that, then go ahead and start changing things. Yeah. I might be getting a little tense out there on this. Loosen up a little bit. We're almost done. Yeah. Third thing to think about, and this really takes some brain power now. You've got to really work hard on this one. What have we accomplished by blurring and changing the roles in the home. Okay? And I've preached on this before, and I've had people leave Northside before because they didn't want to hear this. But the Bible has preferred roles, what is best for males and females in the home and the way that relationships works and all that. And we decided a few decades ago, we'll change that. I'm not saying us individually. I'm saying society decided, let's change this. Let's, let's make everything equal. Let's have everybody working or female working, the male not. We'll we just change everything up. How's that worked out for us? Man, things better now? Or do we see things in society that we say, how in the world could that happen? How could that many kids be that messed up? Okay. We messed with that. We, we took God's plan and we said, we think we know better. Let's just shake things up a little bit. And we've broken homes. We've created divorce, rampant divorce, abortion. We, we've got all sorts of things going. Because we decided we'd change some things. Okay? If you think through that, even though you don't, you don't even have to know why that role was there, and think about 
male spiritual leadership in the church and say, I wonder why God put male spiritual leadership in place. You don't have to know why. You just got to trust him. This must be best for some reason. If we want to change it, I think we'll reap the whirlwind. Fourth thing I put down is this always disrupts unity. There may be a congregation somewhere that is so young and so postmodern and so uh, ill-educated in the Bible that female leadership just seems natural to them. But any congregation that's been around for any length of time has got folks that understand 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 to mean what they say and say what they mean, and change creates division. Why would we disrupt unity when 1 Corinthians 1.10 says unity is the number one thing we're supposed to do no matter what? Why would we disrupt that for this thing, for this change? You've got to ask that question whether it's prudent or wise to make any kind of change. All right. I've rambled around a long time and some of you are sitting there saying, well, what's he believe? Well, what does he think the answer is? Well, that's why I put a little conclusion down here. My conclusion on gender roles in the church is that it's very, very clear that only men should be elders or deacons. In the worship assembly, all teaching roles have to be males. Anything that includes teaching in any way, I believe, needs to be males. And other public roles should be filled by males, to maintain unity, to train young people, to give a consistent message, and to honor God's plan for male leadership. That's how we do that. In non-worship settings, and some people worry a lot about that, well, what about if we have a meeting at home or we have a devo at home or who can do what and all of that? God didn't say anything about it. He left the application of that of male and female roles up to us. We ought to follow the principles of male leadership and all of that, but he didn't tell us specifically who could do what and when when we're in a non-public worship setting. We know women taught and did a lot of things in the New Testament. Uh, We ought to seek wisdom and unity in everything that we do. Now, last thing I want to say is it's, it's, it's awful negative to talk about what somebody can't do, and all the reasons they can't and shouldn't and on and on. Uh, I think we ought to take a much more proactive, uh, positive approach. Uh, Instead of just telling my granddaughter that she can't lead singing in children's training hour, what I should be doing and her parents should be doing is showing her healthy female service in the church. Showing her what women are doing. Uh, I could make a list of women here at Northside that accomplish amazing things without any hint of usurping any kind of authority. Do all kinds of things, amazing things. The, the Women Walking with God conference is an unbelievable team of women that run the whole thing. Yes, the elders have spiritual oversight over it. Make sure that things are on track and don't get off track and all of that. But in general, it's run completely uh, by women. 
They produce a ministry for other women that only they can do. And there's thousands of women around the country that are thankful for the teaching and the encouragement and the fellowship that they get because our women produce this. Okay, so I think we ought to point young women to positive role models, positive things that can be done, instead of worrying so much about what can't be done. All right, that's my take on that, and that is the end of understanding the times. The notebook's going in the bookshelf. It is done for the year. We'll tackle another one, something next year. Uh, If you're here tonight and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with that tonight. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. If you need to come for any reason, come.